The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. Custom software needs vary significantly, whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. Harnessing the technical excellence of Bulgaria, MentorMate provides end-to-end software services in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer world-class care through technology. Learn more at MentorMate.com. Hello and Happy New Year to everyone out there in Medical Alley. My name is Tyler Mason. I'm the Digital Marketing Coordinator for the Medical Alley Association, coming to you with a special edition of our Medical Alley podcast. I'm so glad you joined us. And if you haven't been listening to the podcast for the past year, we're going to take you through the top five episodes of 2021 with a few sound bites from each of them. Now, if as you're listening, you hear any that you want to hear the full conversation of, or, or maybe you missed uh, more episodes in 2021 and you just want to get caught up, Uh, The good news is those are still all available to you. You can go to medicalalleypodcast.org or find them wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. We're going to play a few samples here from the top five podcasts of 2021. Coming in at number five was our conversation with Medica CEO John Naylor. Much of this discussion focused on Medica's DE&I efforts after the murder of George Floyd, and John also shared about his personal DE&I journey. Take a listen. For many in Medical Alley and around the country, the murder of George Floyd was a wake-up call to the racial injustices occurring every day in our nation, in our state, and around, uh, and brought these to light no matter where you lived or worked. Even for those passionate about DEI, this served as a major call to action. For employers and, and their, their employees were a significant source of support and ideas on how they could take action on this issue. And so, John, what were you hearing from your employees following the George Floyd murder and its aftermath. Yeah, Bobby, like most Americans, our employees were appalled, concerned, saddened, angry, frustrated. They were really looking for ways to process what had just happened. So last summer, our senior leadership team held numerous listening sessions across the company. Our employees attended sessions where they were safe to share their feelings. I tell you what, it was really powerful, and we had productive, honest, and passionate conversations around DEI topics. Team members shared very personal experiences and emotions. Others got to hear, in many cases, probably for the first time in their life, what it was like to be a person of color and have experiences and reactions that were very different from what they as white Americans had experienced. These discussions were powerful and have brought us a more informed, common understanding What also came through, Bobby, was a feeling of hope, hope in how the broader community came together to clean up after the damage from the riots. There was also a strong desire to take accountability around DEI and make a difference. Employees wanted to be more involved, and we facilitated many ways for them to get involved. That's great. So, you know, the general employees certainly sound like they, they were really motivated and that, you know, Medica stepped up to, to be able to help them and, and, and move forward there. You know, what were the discussions like among your leadership team and, and how did that translate into action within, within the company and then in the community? Yes, unfortunately, the tragic death of George Floyd was a wake-up call. Um, we took a hard look as a leadership team at ourselves and what Medica was doing as an organization we asked ourselves if we were really making a difference in a commitment to DEI or just checking the box. And we concluded that while our efforts thus far have been meaningful, they were falling far short. 
So we need to do more internally and we needed to really start listening and learning more about the diverse communities we had the privilege to serve. So it was really a call to action. And so, you know, looking at that call to action and, you know, having that flow through your leadership team and your employees, how did you approach aligning everyone around this, around this renewed commitment? You know, successful DEI initiatives require the entire organization to be headed the same direction. So how did you approach that? Yeah, Bobby, I agree that the entire organization needs to be aligned. And I believe that alignment starts at the top. Um, I personally volunteer with the Itasca Project. It's an organization locally that finds solutions to support regional economic vitality, quality of life, and prosperity for all. I also serve on the board of the YMCA of the North, which has a commitment to families and youth in our communities. And on behalf of Medica, I personally am privileged to be involved with a national movement called CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion. That's where I've committed to ensure that Medica is a workplace that encourages complex and sometimes difficult conversations about diversity and inclusion. Uh, But more importantly, as you alluded to, we've got to engage the entire organization. Um, And last year we formed a health equity work group. Uh, This is a group across the entire organization at Medica. And our guiding principle is that social determinants of health are real and affect all communities, um, especially the economically disadvantaged. And so one of the things we're doing across Medica is with this group, we're focusing on four areas of opportunity and making distinct commitments to the four areas, which are leadership and decision-making, access and outcomes, data practices and policies and procedures. So we're really reviewing everything we do through an equity lens. Um, These are also aligned with our DEI roadmap. So one of the things we've done across the organization is we've created a DEI roadmap, which is aligned through four phases that we're going through right now as an organization. First is building awareness. Second is cultivating understanding. Three is gaining support and transformation. And four is the way we do business. So taking all of that and putting it into action. And each of these phases have a myriad of projects and activities that are currently underway at Medica to make sure we're living our commitment across the organization to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our number four most popular podcast of 2021 was our episode featuring Laura Stoltenberg of Halma. She and our Frank Jaskulki chatted about a variety of topics, including a big topic of 2021, digital health. Here's a clip from that conversation. One of the big trends we're seeing in healthcare is this internet of things, digital health, and remote monitoring. You know, care that used to be provided or had to be provided in a doctor's office now can be delivered really anywhere. Um, How do you see that developing and, you know, what is Halma doing within that space? Well, we're absolutely keeping an eye on it. I mean, one statistic, which is really staggering, is there'll be 27 billion IoT connections by 2025. So, and practically then what that means is we're taking a look across all of our medical businesses, especially on how care can be more distributed and everyone more connected. So we talked about with expanding our partnerships um, with different sensors and digital enablement and bringing in analytics capabilities uh, like with Balance on SunTech. But we're also taking a look at historically non-digital businesses and how they can expand and provide value. And one example would be Volk. So Volk was founded over 40 years ago, really as a glass company. So they provide the lenses that ophthalmologists 
years. Glass, not digital, but a year, two years ago, I identified that really every physician had an opportunity to own their own retinal camera and very recently launched a product called VistaView that builds upon our expertise and ophthalmologist lenses by providing digital imaging and technical capability in a handheld. So it has it really empowers physicians no matter where they are to get close to their patient to be able to provide that diagnostic test and then be able to connect it to other physicians. In fact, this isn't even that recent for us in some sense. So we have a Brazilian company, Cardios, that provides holter monitors. And in 2004, actually um, launched a solution called CardioNet, which in a similar way takes the readings and is able to connect it, provide remote reading capability via internet. So physicians, um, even if they're not physically located in the same hospital, can provide remote reading capability and, and value. So absolutely, we're seeing the internet of things. It's influencing how we think about our inorganic partnerships and also how we think about our organic and product development. You know, the, the Cardios example, I think, is a, a great example of something we've seen a lot of, which is that the technology to do this has has been around, but the the business model, the practice changes, kind of the the willingness to use the technologies in this remote way has only just started to happen and really seems got accelerated by the pandemic. I would expect we'd see a lot more opportunities like this to develop um, and in spaces we probably can't even imagine yet today. And from just the product itself, yes, it's what we're seeing is an acceleration of the electronic evolution, even into how we install, how we train, how we service, um, how we market, how we built kind of that market insight and interact with our customers. So we, it's, it's going to be a journey, I think, that we're going to be on for quite a while. It's exciting. At number three was our interview with the Good Clinic President Bradley Case and Chief Nurse Practitioner Dr. Kevin Lee Smith. Listeners of this episode learn more about what makes the Good Clinic different from a typical doctor's clinic. What is it, Brad, that, that makes the Good Clinic different and kind of this, this next evolution or revolution uh, in primary care and in healthcare? Yeah, you know that's a that's a great question, Frank. And and I think uh, as Kevin mentioned, we're certainly in an era of shortage of primary care. Um, and I think one of the one of the exciting parts about this is we know from talking to people in the community and other providers and payers um, that shortage is is being felt pretty acutely, uh, both by patients as consumers as well as others in the healthcare system. We know the value that primary care brings both to the individual relationship with a patient and the overall uh, you know, guidance through and uh, stewardship of resources within the healthcare system so that, that this, this feeling is that there's, there's an acute demand. And I think one of the things that's very interesting for us is if you look at what's happened across the industry over the last you know, uh, years, uh, several years, there's been a consolidation um, of independent practices, but there isn't net new capacity. 
And so in essence, what we're bringing is net new capacity to the market, but we're not just doing it as a, uh, hey, you've seen primary care before. We have a really strong focus on understanding and supporting the patient as a consumer, making, being involved in making their own decisions, thinking about them as a whole person in their demands, not just a, I have an acute need that I need to have solved today, but what is their long-term planning? And we've structured our clinics differently. They don't look like what you would expect as a uh, traditional primary care clinic. We've actually reorganized the, the experience because retail and travel and um, hospitality has taught us as an industry a lot over the last 15 or 20 years that there's much more that we can do to create a satisfying, trustworthy, loyal experience for patients that are in need of everything from small acute to long-term chronic care. It's really quite interesting, the experience side. Uh, for the listeners, I visited one of the clinics and yeah, it, it doesn't feel like or look like any other clinic you've been to in a, in a truly positive way where you just you walk in and you immediately feel much more relaxed and at ease, which I think when if you're dealing with a health issue, right, is probably the first thing you're looking for as a patient. I'm yeah, curious. I'd like Kevin, to just please. jump in on, on that, Frank, in terms yeah. of the um the the approach to the the clinic and and the experience and and I'm I'm glad we're talking about that but just backing up for a second you know looking at the original problem identification you know access being one where statistics showing nationally uh, approximately 24 days for a patient to get an appointment with a primary care provider and um and and you know that's you know, other industries, uh, you know, that you, you, you would lose. I get ice cream in two hours from Amazon. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that, that's, um, that's really, really problematic, but in addition to the, the access issue, we, we also felt that there was an opportunity to create a unique patient experience Mm -hmm. and one to Brad's comments that, that is welcoming that's unique and that's differentiated and is focused on the whole person meeting the patient where they're at. Another problem in primary care that was not lost on us is that primary care is really tough for providers. Providers are getting burnt out in in primary care, and there are lots of different reasons for that. Um, The the number of patients they need to see per day, um, the the addition of new technology on an ongoing basis, uh, EHRs, EMRs, the electronic records have not necessarily made life easier for primary care providers. So it really has become a burnout proposition for, for many of those of us who like to work in clinics and provide patient care. So we also wanted to create an environment that was welcoming and pleasing to the nurse practitioner provider. Our second most popular episode of the year was the very engaging discussion with Carly Yoder of GE Healthcare. As GM and Chief Digital Officer of GE's ultrasound division, Carly shared more about the advancements in artificial intelligence and how healthcare can continue to use AI for good. Here's a snippet. I'd like to start by setting the table a bit. The world of AI is vast, even with our more narrow, and it's a podcast so you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes around narrow, (laughs) discussion of AI and healthcare. So I wonder if you can begin with just a few definitions and background around the subject. Let's set some parameters for our conversation. 
Sure, Gabriella. I, I think that's important because AI has taken on such a hype in terms of what it is and what it does uh, in the past several years, especially. So it helps to take a little bit of a step back. So, so let's demystify it a little bit. Uh, the practice of artificial intelligence is actually nothing new. It's been around for 50 years um, with data scientists trying to push the boundaries of science forward. But what happened in the last five years was we had a massive breakthrough when it comes to a specific science around deep learning, which is a subset of AI, that is absolutely incredible at pattern recognition. And the reason why we saw this explosion in deep learning is compute power exploded. So thank you, Moore's Law. Um, and the availability of digital data exploded. And that's like kindling to a fire when you bring those two pieces together. Um, and when we begin to think about healthcare, it's hard to imagine an industry that's more primed for the impact that this technology advance can have and the impact it can have on patients and providers all over the globe. But one thing I always like to remind folks when I jump into a conversation around artificial intelligence is AI, it's just a tool, albeit a very powerful tool, a very um, industry changing tool, but it's just a tool. It's not a product in and of itself. And so when we think about a discussion around AI, we can't get lost in the technology or the science. We have to constantly be obsessed with what good does this do for the world, for patients, for providers? Um, and how do we harness this technology to move the ball forward? So that's a little bit of a background and how I'd frame um, the, the, the science and power of artificial intelligence when it starts to come towards healthcare. That was a really helpful overview. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I'm curious, actually, I'm going to go off a little bit. I'm curious, what makes you passionate about AI? Absolutely, Gabriella. So personally, I will spend my entire career um, harnessing technology to drive healthcare forward. Uh, my, my background is biomedical engineering. I've had the the joy of my career to work from telemedicine to with state governments here in the U.S., um, with Apple Health. And all of this um, is about how do we leverage the best that technology has to offer to drive the most good, the best outcomes for patients at a global scale. And like I mentioned, with five, about five years ago, with the explosion of deep learning, it became a technology that you just couldn't ignore. Um, Andrew Ng, who's one of the founding fathers of, of deep learning artificial intelligence, says it best when, he's, when he looks to the future and says, AI will become like electricity in the future. It will run through everything and become something we take for granted. Um, and so when I fast forward in my head 15 years, I like to think that AI will be what we think of software development today. The basis for every product, for every solution that we learn how to harness as a tool to drive healthcare forward. Um, and I'm extremely passionate and, and feel very fortunate to get to be in a place um, where, I, where I get to work with this technology on a daily basis. And not just for technology's sake, but for the sake of our customers all over the world. And finally, our number one podcast of 2021 was a joint interview with Penny Wheeler of Alina Health and Craig Salmon of Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Minnesota. The two healthcare leaders talked about the impact of the pandemic on the healthcare system and also shared more about the value-based payment partnership 
between Alina and Blue Cross Minnesota. Here's a preview. And so again, both of you have been leaders on transforming our healthcare system, and you're actually doing something about it. And so during this period of time, I know together, let's talk about that breakthrough value-based payment agreement that Alina Health and Blue Cross and Blue Shield put in place. So as you guys know, it's complicated to put together agreements. And Craig, you've said that Penny and you came together in mutual frustration on this one. You spent more than a year collaborating and planning. So walk us through, why did it take so long to get something so positive done? And how did you guys manage to get this done during the pandemic? Well, I'll start. I mean, I, we, we, we didn't finish it during the pandemic. We actually started this long before the pandemic. So Penny, remind me. It was at least a year, uh, if not nine months before the pandemic started, that we got together in mutual frustration. The mutual frustration was probably more uh, when we first met uh, several years back. Um, But out of that mutual frustration and out of a joint desire to really drive a better future for healthcare, a reinvented model, you know, I would say that COVID didn't break healthcare. Healthcare was broken before COVID, but COVID certainly amplified and exposed the challenges of our industry. We should have been doing more telehealth before. We should have been looking at win-win value-based reimbursement arrangements between payers and systems before. We should have been focusing on health inequities before. Um, And I think Penny and I and our teams both realized that pre-pandemic and began to work on a solution. Now, the reason it took so long is is these types of arrangements are complicated and they're also frankly a paradigm shift for both payers and systems. And so, and, and I think the last thing that I would say is we needed to start by building a foundation of trust. Uh, Historically, the relationship between payers and systems has been more transactional and I would say adversarial, and that's the nature behind our frustration term. So we needed to sort of start with a blank slate, rebuild trust, and then work through the complicated co-design of what we thought was a better model. Yeah, no, I I just add to that, you know, it was difficult, you know, when we first met, we're used to transactional arm wrestling, you know, over deals like this. And uh, we were getting uh, administratively burdened from things like prior authorization, we thought, and I get it because the cost of healthcare was rising and it's unaffordable for way too many, you know, uh, people. So, um, you know, I understand both sides of things. And then we found that actually our values really aligned and there was a third way. And it took a long time because there, there are geographical nuances that occur in different geographies, but there also is no blueprint for this. That's absolute. So we had to, you know, really create and design much of it ourselves. Now, I think the beauty of it is it does reward, you know, both Craig and I are physicians. It rewards us for the reasons that we went into healthcare, rewards us for the best quality outcomes, for the best accessibility, for equitable outcomes, and for affordability. That's what the rewards are for. And that helps, I think, with a time like this where we're worried about, to Craig's earlier comments, the moral injuries that some of our healthcare workers have done. And when they can focus on and get rewarded for the right work, uh, that's all the better. That'll do it for the recap of our top five most popular episodes of the Medical Alley podcast in 2021. 
We hope you enjoyed these and all the other conversations that we brought you throughout the past year. And now as we look ahead to 2022, we can't wait to bring you even more great conversations with healthcare leaders throughout Medical Alley. Be sure to catch all the episodes at medicalalleypodcast.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks and have a great 2022.